morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, my name is Gary, and I'll be reading today's scripture, which comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through chapter 5, verse 10. Now please give your attention to the blessing of God's word. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Amen. Now let's give our attention to the preaching of God's word. Thanks. Thank you for the reading of God's word. Thank you, Gary. Thanks be to God. It's always a pleasure. What a honor to be able to deliver God's word. We're in the second half of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, going into the 10 verses of chapter 5. This may be like part two to last week. Last week we heard and hopefully we learned and are trying to put into practice. Do not lose heart. Do not lose heart because the gospel reenacts a pattern in all Christian lives. Every Christian person's life has a pattern to it. From death comes life. And we ended by saying, if the face of Jesus Christ shines down upon you, and that's surely by grace, and yes, it is by you and I walking closer and closer to him, if you have the face of Jesus Christ beaming down upon you, all pursuits, all our deepest longings are fulfilled in him. So do not lose heart. Today, just want to get a little more practical of how to not lose heart. Okay, how to not lose heart. First, two ways to look at life or two points of view. And then third, how you should feel. All right? So, two ways to look at life. Third, the experiential weight or the weight that you should feel. This is how you will not lose heart. Well, in the middle of any strife or fight, a crisis, or war, it is remarkable 
how two people in the same setting, same room, same lighting, same weather conditions, same event, same content, can walk away from that event or meeting with completely polar opposite points of view. Again, Israel and Palestine, remarkable. How different and how long and how heated are the different points of view. Well, depending upon your point of view, it radically determines what you think, what you feel, how you react, how you respond, your action items, and how you go through that situation, or maybe even that fight. Apostle Paul has a point of view, filled by the Holy Spirit, and he's letting you know through the scriptures, this is his point of view. Can I add to that? It's actually God's point of view. It's like God's point of view. Do you have it? Do you want it? The first point of view, the first thing you should see, the way you should look at life is the whole sermon series title here. It's paradoxical. Paradoxical. Here's how Paul looks at life. He looks at everything he's going through. This is what you and I should do. Every present suffering, experience, joy, or sorrow, all of it, and he compares it with permanent promises and eternity to come. Let me say that again. It's paradoxical because the way that Paul looks at life and the way that he's trying to teach you and I to look at life is to look at all of your present experiences, but just don't be myopic. Just don't look at your present experiences. Look at it in view of permanent promises and the significance of eternity to come. That's what Paul is just doing in these two chapters, just nonstop. Verse 7 of chapter 4 from last week, we carry around this treasure in these jars of clay. Jars of clay were one of the most throwaway containers. You can talk about it's fast food drink cups. Paul says, that's me. I'm a throwaway container, but I carry a treasure. Verses 10 through 12 from last week. Death is at work in us. Death is at work in us. We're constantly dying. We've been giving it over to death. But this shows off the life of Jesus. In other words, when you are dying, you feel like you are dying. That's actually how the life of Jesus is emerging and rising. Paradoxical. Verse 16. Our outer self is wasting away, which we just read. Gary just read. But our inner self is being renewed day by day. Verse 17. Oh, what a bedrock verse this is. Our light momentary present affliction. Our present affliction prepares for an eternal weight of glory. Verse 18. Do not just look at visible things. Do not just look at the things that are temporary and transient. But <coughs> please learn to look at things that are unseen and permanent. <clears throat> Excuse me. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Our earthly tent is wearing away and it's being destroyed. Most likely, he's referring to our physical bodies. But we are going to trade our earthly tents for a heavenly home or a heavenly building. Most likely referring to resurrected, perfect, invincible, undying bodies. How about verse 4, chapter 5? We are naked, we're groaning, we're burdened, 
but that is going to give way to one day we're going to be fully clothed and you will never be more alive. What's Paul doing? And are you doing this? Are you doing this? He is comparing always the present with the permanent, with the immediate, the immediate with the eternal. And in comparison between the immediate present and eternal future, he says in verse 17, there's no comparison. <laughs> Quote, beyond all comparison. That's Paul's conclusion. He said, the more I do this, the more you do it, and it's a good thing that you do it. Paradoxical. Look at your life. Yes, assess it. Of course, eyes wide open. Talk about it. Identify it. This is what I'm going through right now. However, however, look at God's own permanent promises and what he is up to. And if you look at what God is doing, not just what is happening, it's beyond all comparison. I heard midway through undergraduate college, or maybe it was early on, and this is when it really dropped for me, and it never will let go of me. It changed the trajectory of my entire life, really, of what I wanted to do for a living. Life is short. Death is certain. Eternity is long. Life is minusculely short. Death is guaranteed. And then eternity just doesn't stop. Is this how you look at life? Is this how you assess your life? Man, we had the president of Westminster Seminary come by last week. What an honor to give a charge for our own youth director, Dante, full reverend now. Thank God. He can give benedictions now. <laughs> Joel was given a charge, but before he gave the charge, he had to make fun of me. It's his favorite target. He said, I didn't know, Pastor Held, how old you gotten. When you read the scripture, you have to take off your glasses. And he just laughed at me. So you should get progressive lenses. Oh, you're so old. You need progressive lenses. You need progressive lenses. I said, I do. I miss the projectors. That's what I used to just read off of. Is the Bible your lens? Let me call it progressive lenses. You know, let me admit something. The more and more I watch and learn the news and current climate and politics and business and sports and entertainment... I'm growing blind. I am getting more blind. Without the Holy Scriptures cleansing it all and filtering everything. Is the Bible your lens? Is the Bible really your lens through which you understand and interpret and conclude everything in life? Listen, you don't just need more medical health advice. You really don't. You just don't need more sports coaching for your kids. You really don't. That's not what you really need most. What you really need is Apostle Paul's point of view. You need God's point of view. The usual storylines running around today are, they're just the muck, right? Woke versus anti-woke. Racist versus anti-racist. Conservative versus progressive. Oppressor versus victim. Rich versus poor. 
I know some people who look at the whole world as just rich versus poor. You hate rich people or rich people hate the poor. All of your worldview is determined by that. Religious versus irreligious. Conservative versus progressive. Look at what's happening right now to the House of Republicans. What an embarrassment. Can I tell you, every other storyline or lens through which you look at the world is woefully limited, it's temporary, it's biased, and it's actually deadly on its own. Without God's point of view, everything else is just too simplistic. You must get God's point of view. Let me give you a case in point right here today. When I ask you a question, and I think, I suspect, by asking you this question, hopefully you and I will see how much either we've lost God's point of view or how much we need to gain it and learn it. Okay, here's the question. What is the worst possible thing that could happen to you? What's your worst nightmare? Maybe it's already happened. Okay? I know people are thinking about it. I hope you're thinking about it. If you're awake, what's your worst nightmare? What's the worst possible scenario? I think for most people, it'd be like losing a loved one way too early. The loss of your entire livelihood or career reputation or the loss of your own life, right? Well, look at chapter 5, verse 10. If you have it on your phones, please look at this verse, okay? Here's what Apostle Paul says in chapter 5, verse 10. <clears throat> the final verse. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil. According to Apostle Paul, the worst thing that can happen to you happens after your first physical death. The Bible describes there's two deaths. The day that you die that everyone is aware of, guaranteed, but then there's an eternal death to come. And the worst thing that could ever happen to anyone in this room is you and I getting exactly what we deserve by the judgment of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who knows all, sees all, has an infallible record of everything that we've ever done in the body, good or evil, puts you actually to holy, perfect justice for all that you've ever done. My, and when we get that, when we actually suffer the consequences of that, don't you think that would be the worst thing that would ever happen to you? Because that never ends. Are you prepared for it? Have you contemplated it? Are you even ready for it? The Bible makes it unmistakably clear, just as heaven is oh so real, tangible and sensory and physical, so is hell. Hell. Jesus, when he agonized and died upon a cross, he went through hell. Not that he deserved it, but to go through hell for all the people who do deserve it. He went through hell upon a cross, forsaken by God, under his 
wrath and punishment for sins of the world, Jesus went through that so that he could save people from ever experiencing it for themselves. And for those then who do believe and trust and follow Jesus, you see, let's put this all together. How do you never lose heart? How come Christian people are marked throughout history as people who never lose heart? They actually never give up. They always get back up and they always get back up. They always get back up. Here's why. Because Christian people know the worst has come and gone. Your worst nightmare has already passed. The worst thing that could ever happen to you is an eternity of God's holy justice, wrath poured upon you. God will never be unjust with you. No. There will not be one hint of disproportionate or exaggerated response. No, 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 no. It will be perfect. And for Jesus, a savior, a substitute, to take that from me, Back in history, this is why Apostle Paul says, we never have to lose heart and we can always be of good courage. That's one point of view. But what a point of view. Paradoxical, paradoxical. Here's a second way you should look at life. Productive. <laughs> Productive. Chapter, seven, chapter 4, verse 17. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So far, we've always used the English Standard Version. That's our choice or preference of translation. But in this case, preparing is better translated in the King James Version and the NIV, the New International Version. I think preparing is a little weak. It's better translated as producing or working out. Chapter 5, verse 4, it says, all that is mortal is swallowed up by life. Here's a second way you should look at all of life. How do you look at your sufferings? How do you look at your sufferings? Stoics say, just accept it. That's what Buddhists say, just accept it. Hedonists or modernists say, avoid all suffering. Protect yourself away. Medicate yourself away. Buy your way away against it. Moralists, atheists, and masochists will say, embrace and endure suffering for its own sake. Is this what Apostle Paul or Jesus Christ himself ever teach about suffering? Christians do not passively just give up and accept suffering. But Christians should get very angry, righteously angry. They should grieve at it and seek to remedy and heal it at all costs possible because suffering is so unnatural to life. Christians do not avoid suffering. Neither do they rejoice in suffering for itself. But Christians can take heart Christians never have to lose heart in the suffering because you know it's productive. Productive for what? It's preparing or producing what? An eternal weight of glory. Now, what is this eternal weight of glory? What exactly is that? What happens then and there? Obviously, it's referring to heaven or the new heavens and the new earth. 
you know, Pastor, when I get to heaven, is it just a place in time in which God gives me back everything that I've lost? It's like a foolproof insurance policy. You lost your car, we'll pay for a new car. Your, your house was burnt or your house was robbed, we're going to pay back everything that was robbed. Is that what it is? A full rendering or compensation of all that was deprived or lost. But if you think about it, how do you pay back people who've lost too much? If they lost their youth, they lost their innocence, they lost their memories, they lost their skills, they lost it through a tragedy, they lost a love relationship and it was cut just way too short. How do you compensate for that? My friends, do you know when Apostle Paul talks about an eternal weight of glory? He's not just talking about a heavenly compensation. He's talking about a full realization and restoration of everything you ever hoped for. Heaven, an eternal weight of glory, is the full-on realization and restoration of everything as it should be. A couple months ago, I was working on a little chapter. It's a small little chapter I, I needed to write. It stressed me out. I asked for prayer from the officers and staff. That's how brutal writing is for me. Conclusion to after writing that little chapter, I never want to do that again. <laughs> writing is not going to be my livelihood. God help me. And you know, there's a, everyone in this room who has certain things that you're very limited or you feel like you are very frustrated by. You know, you could have done this. You could have fulfilled that dream. Maybe you make this kind of contribution. Maybe you could have finished that project. There's a certain artwork or music piece you could have composed. All kinds of things about your family. You wanted your family to be raised a certain way. Some of you mapped out your life. You would do this by age 25 and then 35 and 45. And all these things really have not come to pass at all. But do you know that the way that Apostle Paul looks at life and the way that you and I should look at our lives is this. If Jesus Christ died and rose again, nothing in his life, and therefore nothing in your life if you belong to him, is wasted. Nothing is in vain. Nothing is eternally tragic. Nothing is lost. Nothing is so gross or atrocious or so humiliating and shocking that God cannot even turn it into perfection. I know for some of you in this room, you have been going through something where you feel like there's nothing in the future that can make up for this, what I'm going through right now. But what if Paul's point of view is unveiling this day? That the eternal future glory to come won't just make up for what you're going through today, but will make your future that much better because of what you're going through today. Did you know that God can take and turn the worst thing that could ever happen to you in this lifetime and use it 
to correspondingly and infinitely increase your future joy and glory because you went through exactly what you're going through, not in spite of it. When Paul says, my light momentary affliction is producing, it's making, it's building, what? A better glory. A better glory. Meaning your glory and my glory would not be as great as if you, as if, if you had never gone through what you've gone through. Sufferings are productive. This is a complete annihilation of all evil and suffering in all the world. And there is no other point of view that is more astounding and hopeful and encouraging and glorious than this one because God can use the worst to bring about the best. And he'll just make the best better for you. Productive. Keep going back to Dostoevsky. Outside of scripture, I don't know who else has described this better. He was on death row. He should have died himself. You know, he's gone through in the 19th century of old communist Russia. Talk about things that he's experienced. And here's what he observed. Quote, I believe all suffering will be healed and made up for. That all the humiliating absurdity of human contradictions will vanish like a pitiful mirage. Like the despicable fabrication of the impotent and infinitely small Euclidean mind of man. That in the world's finale, at the moment of eternal harmony, something so precious will come to pass. It will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all the crimes of humanity, of all the blood that they've shed. That this thing will make it not only possible to forgive, but to justify everything that's happened. Something so precious and beautiful is coming to pass. That will make it not only possible to forgive, but to justify and fully understand why it happened. Two points of view. Two points of view. Paradoxical. Present with the permanent. Second, sufferings are productive. Sufferings are productive. <laughs> There's no system, worldview, philosophy in the world that talks like that. But in ours, we have someone who proved it. Jesus died, but he rose again. Last one, how you should feel. I'm going to call it the experiential weight you need to feel the weight of this. Chapter 5, verse 5. He who has prepared us for this very thing, what, the eternal future glory, is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Without the Holy Spirit, you will not feel it. Without the Holy Spirit, you will not be changed by it today. Without the Holy Spirit, it's great knowledge, but it won't actually translate into experience. He is the guarantee. Holy Spirit is the guarantee. The Holy Spirit is the one that packs a punch. He gives you the power. He lets you feel its weight. Let you feel its weight. Can I talk to my dear friends at a Reformed Presbyterian academic smart church? This is the part I think we lack. The Holy Spirit loves to move and use 
And he loves to empower and fill people, not just with the knowledge, but he loves to use people who walk by faith, it says in verse 7. We walk by faith, not by sight. Where does faith come from? At least three things. You've got to walk by faith for the Holy Spirit to walk with you and move in you. Faith comes from at least three things. Number one, his point of view, his word, where his word is shared and talked about and preached and taught. His word, his point of view. Second, prayers. Prayers is absolutely vital and essential. The third P, his people. His people. Now, how do you begin to feel something? How do you begin to experience something? I've suggested this before. When you look at any professional, someone as good as his or his or her craft on the stage, if it looks that good or effortless or smooth to you, I assure you most likely it took thousands of hours behind it. Maybe a lifetime. For you to be, get way past, you know something, you should do this, it's right for you. I want to ask and encourage all of you in the Christian life, when will you experience it? Are you feeling this stuff? Are you feeling the weight of the future glory upon you? And here is how you get to the experience of it. Here's how you get to the feeling of it. You've got to grind. You've got to fixate yourself on a grand glorious finale rather than current news. You've got to be in the scriptures. You've got to be swimming in the scriptures, not just all the social media. You have to revel in something, spend more time in something, until it dispels your despair and doom and gloom and discouragement. If you believe that God will pulverize all evil, injustice, and suffering and despair, you have to let him pulverize yours first. You need, you see, the glory of it to hit you. You need it to land on you. You need to feel it. You need to be overtaken by it. The Holy Spirit guarantees it. He wants you to feel it. Do you feel its weight? Do you feel its weight? Paul did not just weigh his present sufferings and afflictions, although he was very, very transparent and weak about it. But Apostle Paul weighed his future glory much more. Hey, you and I, I'm, you can get stuck in weighing your present afflictions and glory, present afflictions and sufferings. Talk about it, lament it, grieve it. Good, weigh it. But this passage, Apostle Paul, in his point of view and what he's feeling, he's saying, but when I weigh and measure and think about eternal way to glory to come, it just blows everything into perspective, everything out of proportion. I hear there's an aging Irish rock band playing over in Las Vegas. Rave reviews. Not so much now about the Irish rock band, but the spectacle and the sounds of this new auditorium called The Sphere. And man, I can't wait to go there. Because it's like a full immersive experience under the gospel of you two. <laughs> You're going to feel and hear what all of you two is really like. And they're actually going to be helped a lot by its technology, I believe. My friends at this church, do you know that the Holy Spirit wants to give you an immersive experience? 
Do you know the Holy Spirit doesn't just want you to go from Bible study to this fellowship and other gathering without you feeling its weight? Do you know the Holy Spirit wants to give you a full immersion in the things to come until the weight drops on you? You got to get there. It's wherever God's point of view and his word is being preached. It's where the prayers and the singing are being called out for the living God in worship. And you are in person with his people. Not only on Sundays, but maybe at small groups or whatever gatherings that God can allow you to do. I don't know anybody in this room who really wants to experience something who would prefer to do it online. A concert, a milestone, a wedding, a funeral, a sporting event. Or how about your precious kids, your kids' activities? All of it, you want a full immersion in it. You know, as Danny Kwan, who's been working with youth for 30 years, came by a couple months ago from Philadelphia, he could not have more strongly warned and I'm going to warn you again as one of your pastors. The next generation of church kids are being discipled out of church by church parents. The next generation of kids whom you say it's for your kids, but really, you are discipling and training them to have more immersive experiences, everything outside of church, rather than at church. Oh, my friends, please don't think I'm saying here now. You are not saved by your kids, whether they turn out well or whether they turn out wrong. I know parents who raise them really well, and yet your kids have now gone astray for the time being. Please know that is not your life, and that's the whole point. Our kids are not our life. What is our life? What is our life? This immersive experience that God wants to bring of what God wants to bring about an eternal weight of glory you know we're about to take communion about five minutes such an ordinary plain almost mundane thing you may say Harold Harold how dare you compare worship service to a YouTube concert that's sensational all my sensations are just at full throttle uh, but this come on you're going to compare it to it no here's what I'm going to say what may seem the most ordinary God promises the extraordinary what may seem the most routine and customary, God promises the spectacular to anyone who comes and walks by faith. Listen, what do you and I need the most right now? What do you and your kids need the most? What do you want them to learn the most? Please don't say, I hope they just get to the right college or the right job. I think what they need the most, I think what you and I need the most is to learn how to never lose heart. And how do you and your kids never lose heart? J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of that majestic trilogy series, The Lord of the Rings, did you know he had a very, very sad life? His father died when he was four. His mother died when he was 12. All his best friends but one died in World War I by 25. How did Tolkien handle it? He threw himself into writing an epic story. And in that story, quote, 
yearning for a hope that he called hope beyond the walls of the world, a hope so deep and so great that it can sweeten a world in which everything wears away, end quote. How and why would someone write like that? Because he was immersed by 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. Our light and momentary affliction is producing an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Are you immersed in it? Are you immersed in it? There are traumas, sufferings, and losses that counselors will tell you get absorbed into your brain, into, into your body, even if you don't grieve it. But they stick. And I'll tell you, on this side of heaven, I don't know if you'll ever fully be healed. I'm with you in the same boat. But you and I are destined for something far greater because of it. There is something far more precious and beautiful to come that will make all of our temporary media experiences weightless. Weightless. Oh, my friends, may you feel its weight. The Holy Spirit gives you the weight. The Holy Spirit wants to drop the weight of eternal glory. The Holy Spirit wants you to know he guarantees it. The Holy Spirit wants you to know he's going to bring it about. The Holy Spirit gives you good courage. The Holy Spirit will never let you lose heart. And the Holy Spirit will make you aim to please him. And with that, we come to the table. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. And we pray that we would sense and relish and lock in and feel and experience such glorious things to come. Even now as we celebrate your table. Here as we pray in Jesus' name, amen.